right. <laughs> Can you start us off with a word of prayer? Absolutely. Father God, we are humbled and encouraged by your mercy and grace, which we do not deserve. We are overwhelmed by the love that you have poured out upon us. Father, you've lavished your love upon us through the Holy Spirit that you've given to us. Instead of hellfire, you have given us heaven's love, and we are grateful, we are thankful, we stand in awe of the gospel. Lord, we just say thank you, and it's the gospel that gives us the desire to even do this, that gets the gospel that gives us the understanding for even what truth is, a desire for truth, a longing to grow in the truth, and by all means, a deep passion to proclaim the truth. So help us now. As we have a conversation about the truth, we pray that your truth would be paramount and that we would, uh, in, our, in ourselves, diminish in every way that Christ may be exalted above all else, that your people may be strengthened, that your church may be blessed, and that your glory may be over all the earth. It's for your namesake we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you hear well? You good? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Let's get started. truth welcome back everyone to the truth talks podcast i'm your host buddy boone with me today is the pastor of bellcroft bible church in the great city of Bowie, maryland his name is pastor matt white how you doing today sir i'm blessed brother awesome i'm, I'm blessed to be here with you and uh we have a few things to talk about before we get into that i wanted to uh, uh tell you a story about something that happened so uh we were talking about how uh, how wonderful of a pastor that you are, and uh, it came up, you know, we were just wondering, before you kill a deer, do you give it the gospel? <laughs> Today is the day of salvation and not my starvation. Is that what, is that kind of how it goes? No, that's that's not how it goes. Okay. Yeah. I just, yeah. we were we were wondering uh, in the class if that's what happened, you know? No, no, I okay. don't, I don't, yeah, I don't give, I don't give, uh, animals the gospel, but I do give God praise for providing that meal that has just come along. Yeah. So. It just, it just walks up. Yes. And, it's yeah, right there. So, it's, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the Lord's providence. It, the, the providence of God is amazing Yep, and tasty. And he's oh. the creator. And so you give him praise for that. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. There you go. So it was just a question that we, we were wondering. It's like, he probably gives the gospel to him. No. This is your day. It's your, your day to die. So. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a joke, y'all. I hope y'all take it as a joke. Because I was your definitely. pastor has to be from West Virginia to be able to talk about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. So uh, there's a couple of things that I kind of wanted to uh, bring to you. Um, and. The reason behind them is because uh, I just got questions and these questions are always, um, you know, coming off. The, well, this one particularly is coming off of the uh, last couple of sermons. I'm not going to touch the, the very last sermon, which was the 13th. Is that yeah. three days ago? Yep. Uh, I'm not going to touch that sermon yet. Uh, I wasn't here, so I have to re-listen to it. I was, wasn't feeling very well, so I got... The majority, I got some of it, but I didn't, I wasn't able to do what I usually do, you yep. know, take the notes and stuff like that. Yep. Uh, the big thing that I pulled from it that I thought was amazing was the notice it was our 
father. Yeah. Lotus, it was our father. And then I was really happy when you said these words. But don't miss it. I was really happy when you said those words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was like, that. that's usually what he says. So. Yeah. <laughs> You all should see the color. That that's bad. It's right. Now. This is not right, man. You shouldn't do this. To I do it. I do it. <laughs> you got me on that one. Yeah, I was not ready for that. So you, you, they know we have no preparation here, man. You come in here and you, you throw these things out there. Oh man, I just come out of counseling. I'm like, I walk in. It's like, oh, we're doing a podcast, and then here you are. Yeah. Oh man! Yeah, I was like, I had to throw that on the soundboard because if yeah. I do that, then that is that is the perfect thing to do. I have all these other pastors. Like, what I have my own pastor saying, but don't miss it. I gotta do that. I gotta have that on there. So, it's just trying, just trying to be a good teacher, man. That's yeah. it. So, um, <clears throat> what you, what you did say was uh, that um, it was our, it's our father, yeah. and I was like, oh, that is. I never thought through that because yeah. you know we skip over it. We miss it, you know, yeah. all the time because we just say, oh, well, I'm going to say our father who art in heaven. It's like, okay, why is he saying our? Yeah. Why is he not saying my father? Exactly. So I was like, that was that was a good one. But in between the the the, the nose uh, blowing and, yeah. and, 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 you know, laying down and the headache really didn't catch a whole lot. So I'm going to come back to that one yeah. next week. There's a lot there. Oh, Why does he say father? There. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff, especially in this day and age. And we're not done. We still we only did half of it, so we'll yeah we'll be back there this Sunday. Yeah. Um. How many uh, sermons did you say you're going to do on prayer? Uh, I I forget. It was like twelve or thirteen, something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know where we are. What number are you right now? You know. Uh, I think this might have been seven. So about halfway. Yeah. I don't. I don't remember. Yeah. So remember what I said. I, yeah. I'm not a son of a prophet. Neither yeah. am I a prophet. But I definitely said it's going to be more than 12. Yeah, yeah. No, it will be. It will be. It, yeah. I think it's going to take us up to Easter, it looks like. but That, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that makes yeah. sense. Which uh, would actually work well in my preaching calendar. But so far, I think we, I forget where we go after. I think we're going to Acts 4 or Psalm 51. So after the Lord's Prayer, starting with the Lord's Prayer, we're just doing prayers from here on out. Mm-hmm. So we're doing specific different prayers in different genres to learn more about the different um, types of prayer. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to go to the penitent prayer, the prayer of praise. Um, yeah, it's going to be good. So, yeah. Well, speaking of the father in that, uh, I do have a question from, uh, <clears throat> from my father, from my father, uh, <laughs> about the, uh, the word father. And this is how it's written. The context is the question prompted during uh, the direction of prayer, mm-hmm. uh, our personal father. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is his fatherhood relationship with the nation of Israel? Mm-hmm. So uh, ask me the question again, because I didn't follow it. Well, the question I was getting, the context was first. Yes. So that was in the in Oh, you're t- talking about the sermon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the point of the direction of prayer, yes. our personal father. Yes. Um, the question is, what is his fatherhood relationship with the nation of Israel? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that question, there is no fatherhood in relationship to the nation of Israel. You talking about with Christ or with, or with Yahweh? Well, that's the thing. So in the new Testament, there yeah. is the father, there is, you know, referring to God as father. Cause yeah. that was one of the things that you did say. It was like, yeah, well, there's know. the father, the son, the Holy spirit, but that's mm-hmm. obviously we're talking about the members of the Trinity. I'm just trying to figure out relationship to Israel 
Um, I'm just tr- I'm trying to track with the question. It's just not clear to me, but I'll talk it through. Maybe I'll answer it. Okay. So obviously in the Old Testament, um, God is described as father uh, quite a few times in different contexts. But uh, as far as I can tell, he's never addressed directly in a prayer as our father. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the first one to do that, which is pretty, I think, pretty stark. And here's why, because Israel um, tended, and, and this not only started that way, but then grew even greater in their uh, sense in which uh, God was far away. And the more that their, their, their uh, system of belief became less God-driven and more man-driven, which is by the time Christ walks the earth, the Judaism of that day was so far removed from what God had established in the law as given to Moses. It was just a totally man-centered, man-made religion. And obviously God was so far away because you had all these hoops you had to jump through. And that's mm-hmm. that's always the case with man-made religion. God is far. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that mission missionaries out in, in far-reaching reach, countries when they're dealing with tribal people it's one of the things that they eventually come to realize that one of the blessed truths for uh, tribes, people, is is the fact that Christianity speaks of a God who's near, a God who's close, a God who can be addressed personally, and it's yet he's transcendent, as the passage even shows, but that's one of the major uh, distinctions about Yahweh, that he is close, and the Old Testament taught that and declared that, but... The Judaism of the day obviously uh, didn't teach that because it's driven by man's schemes. So as far as Yahweh in relationship to Israel, um, yeah, he's Israel's God, and in that sense he's Israel's father, but in the New Testament sense he's our father as well, which as a believer. So he's the people of God. So if you're maybe the, maybe the caller or the questioner's asking maybe more in a distinctive sense, is Israel different than the church? Not in the sense of the people of God. Israel and the church are the same. They're all the people of God, chosen by God, redeemed by God, and they're children of God, and therefore God is their father, right? Now, Israel has a special place um, in God's eternal plan as, as a nation, but as far as fatherhood, there's nothing that would differentiate Israel from the church in the fatherhood of God. I guess that's what they're asking. I don't know. I don't That that makes sense to me. Um I don't know if that's what they're asking. I'm yeah. I'm confused by the question. Well, we had a little bit and of that a could conversation be my fault. Yeah. That could be my fault. I'm not I don't know who the questioner is, so I'm not disrespecting him. I'm just not registering with it. Well, it was Todd. So Yeah. Yeah, I'm I, he, he can be confusing sometimes. Well, yeah. Yeah. I'm just so maybe that's what he meant. Right. Maybe you know, is he asking, hey, is that just an Israel thing? No, because Romans eight, Galatians four make very clear, right? The Holy Spirit teaches us to say what? Abba Father. Mm-hmm. Right. And so obviously we, we understand that and we understand what's being said there when it's speaking of that intimacy and that reality of that close, near relationship. And so yes, Israel has a dis- very distinct relationship with God as the chosen nation, right? as God's uh, holy people, but yet, obviously, so does the church and the fact that we are chosen people as well, but in a different context, but in uh, in the sense of the fatherhood of God or even God the Father in the first member of the Trinity, it's the same because we're all the people of God. Mm-hmm. And so that's where you got to understand that distinction between the church and Israel, right? They are They are all one and the same people of God, yet distinct, 
right, as the chosen nation and the church, and, and the Bible shows that and describes that, yet it's a distinction that is held together in the unity of we are, we are saved the same, we are saved by the same way, we are saved in the same person, we are saved in the, for the same purpose, right? And so there's no distinction in any of that. It's not like a gospel for the church, a gospel for Israel. That's when it gets uh, really weird and mm-hmm. false, um, but yeah, so that would be like, hey, there's God the Father for Israel. Now there's God the Father for the church. No, there's just one God. Yeah, and I would, uh, I, my thought process was, oh, because when Jesus came, you know, he was actually, you know, that, uh, you know, since the the veil tore, you know, we're yeah. we have access that way. But yeah. the Lord's prayer was <laughs> way before the. Christian oh no! Yeah, he's speaking as an Israelite to Israelites. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, so that, he's, that's another thing too. Yeah, he's speaking to Israelites, obviously, in the in the disciples who he's teaching, mm-hmm. and he's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, obviously, there were no doubt Gentiles there listening. Um, so, I mean, Sermon on the Mount was attended by you know thousands of people as he's there preaching. So, to say that it was only Israelites would be a stretch, if not you know a falsehood. But when he's speaking to his disciples specifically, they were all Israelites in that sense. And, uh, and it's Matthew. So he's a, he's, he's a Jew, he's an Israelite. So, so in that specific context, yes, that is pre-church. And so, but the reality of that continues, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the way that we pray and that idea of obviously the fatherhood of God and again, the Trinity and the God, the father, you know, that's not a Israelite distinction. That's, that's a distinction of who God is, and He's mm-hmm. the Savior of Israel and the Church and all people, Gentiles and and uh, and uh, Jews alike. And so, but yeah, maybe that's what He's asking in the context of in the canonical context. That would be the right way to say it. Mm-hmm. Of not Matthew writing, but actually Jesus speaking. He's speaking pre. He's still Old Testament in many ways when He's speaking because. He's coming into an Old Testament era that's ending and will end when he dies and raises, and obviously the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and that starts essentially everything with the church age begins. So if you're if you're talking technically, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, in many ways, John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet in many ways, yet he's a New Testament mm-hmm. prophet. So there's that hinge reality. Right? right. And so that's what the Gospels are. They're that in between, between the ending of the old and the beginning of the new. And so in that sense, maybe that's what he's saying, our father, is he just talking to Israel? Well, in the immediate context, he's speaking to Israelites, but not in a, um, not in a, an exclusive sense where he's only the father of Israel, right? Maybe that's what he's asking, our father and only the Jews. Maybe that's what he's asking, but obviously that doesn't, that doesn't cross over either because of what I just said in Romans eight and Galatians four. And, right. and yeah, he's the father of, obviously he says that uh, multiple times and throughout the scriptures, especially in acts where he's the father of the Jews and the Gentiles. Well, I tried texting him uh, to clear up the confusion, but he's not answering his text. Yeah, I'm sure it's more confusion on my part, but yeah, hopefully I talked around it enough that I answered it. You're not confusing Todd, just so you know, I know I said it, but, yeah, I'm sure it's me. All right. It's almost past my bedtime. So. <laughs> it is past my bedtime. All right. One of the questions that I had, and this was 
um, referring to your sermon on the 6th of uh, February, uh, which would be... I'll remember that. You'll remember it too far you away? Just, you just asked me. All right. Well, this is uh, six prayers. Uh, oh, the problem of prayer. The problem of prayer, yeah. So uh, the six, you know, you, you gave yeah. six things, yep. unrepentant prayer. Yep, yep. One of the questions that I had was, <laughs> this is a kind of a trick question, does God hear a sinner's prayer? Well, it depends on what the sinner's praying. What do you mean? So if you're asking me if God hears the rote, quote-unquote, sinner's prayer, like mm-hmm. the rote recitation of repetition of just some rote prayer that we just say, kind of like uh, the Hail Mary of a Roman Catholic or something, you know, that's often called the sinner's prayer. And if you're asking, does God hear that? Well, it would depend on the heart, right? It all goes to the heart. If the person means what he's praying in the repentant reality of true faith, yeah, God God will answer that. God will hear that. He's promised to do that. But if it's just a, if it's just a, uh, a, a genie in the lamp, a magical incantation, pray mm-hmm. this prayer, like that's what you'll often hear. You want to be saved? Pray this prayer. Mm-hmm. That's some of the scariest words on the Bible, right? It's like, so salvation is just a, a magical incantation because that's what we're just said. Mm-hmm. If I just say the right words, now I'm, I'm saved. Well, that's not in the Bible. Now, are words in the Bible? Yeah, Romans 10, 9 and 10 is a prayer to a certain extent. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. <laughs> what is confessing with your mouth? You know, that's, that's, you know, in its most pedestrian sense, that's prayer, talking to God. And what do we say? Jesus is Lord, you know. Well, what does that mean? What does a person mean when they say that? Are they just using it as, again, a mathematical syllogism, a theological syllogism to where they just say the right thing and I'll get the right results? Um, no, I mean, obviously, that's it's so much more than that. It comes out of the broken heart, and it goes right back to First Samuel, you know, fifteen, and the reality that God looks upon the heart, and it's the heart of the worshiper. It's the heart of the prayer behind it. Again, go to Luke eighteen, and the Pharisee, which was the religious man of the day, he had a lot of words in his prayer, and he prayed like crazy. And what did he say? And look at all that he said. And what did Jesus say? That man. That man was not heard by God. He did not go home to his house justified, i.e., God didn't answer his prayer. God didn't listen to his prayer. And then you got the, uh, uh, the tax collector. He hardly says anything. Literally, the text says he beats his breast. He beats his chest in humility and brokenness and, and won't even lift his eyes to heaven, but says, but says, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. And what does Jesus say? That man went home justified. Mm-hmm. He pleased the Lord mm-hmm. and was obviously blessed by God in so doing. He was, he was, he was seen as right with God, as justified. And so, um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're talking about a genuine sinner, right, a genuine repentant sinner, one who sees their sin as rebellion, cosmic treason against holy God, they recognize that they have sinned against God. They recognize that they deserve the wrath of God for their sin. They recognize that there's no hope for them other than Christ, and they call out to the Lord, whether in the silence of their heart or whether verbally, you know, whatever way, mentally or verbally or both. Absolutely, that is the cry that, that the Lord will never turn away. 
Mm-hmm. Jesus said, all that come unto me, I will never turn away. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's literally what he's saying. That's what he means when he says that. And so, yeah, obviously, and, and that can come in all kinds of ways and come through many different uh, prayers in the sense of verbiage. And sometimes it's unspoken. You can't even say anything, but your heart is broken and you're weeping and you don't even know what to say, right? You're just, you're just casting yourself at the mercy of the Lord. Are you kidding me? That's, that is salvation. <laughs> That's what it's about. Well, right? then that makes them that, that, that well... It's kind of a, a, a two-way question because I would say, no, he doesn't hear a sinner's prayer because that is not a prayer. Because what you are just describing to me is someone who is redeemed, someone who is... Who is, yeah. is Technically, we would call that repentant. Okay. And they're still a sinner. You're always a sinner. He, yeah. Everybody that prays is a sinner. Right. So right. to say that he doesn't hear a sinner's prayers is to say he doesn't hear your prayers. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, so it's the repentant. That's gotcha. why in that first... In that first uh, problem prayer, it was titled the unrepentant prayer. Mm-hmm. He does not hear the unrepentant, right? That's sure. the key, mm-hmm. is the heart of the person unrepentant or repentant. Right. And it's repentance is always the key. Are you coming in the name of Christ based on the merits of Christ, based upon Christ and Christ alone because your heart is repentant and not in yourself? Then that's it, right? And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's the issue. Yeah, it it got me. It, you know, I grew up listening to gospel music, and there was a a song that said, "God still hears a sinner's prayer." Yeah, and it was you know the whole song was set up in a way to say, "Yeah, God will hear your prayer. Just 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 cry to Him." And I'm like, "You gotta give them the gospel first. Yeah, <laughs> and you know yeah. that for them to understand their sin, and yeah. you know then you bring them to you know to that point." So. Well, the reality too that obviously. <clears throat> This is why we do the podcast, because, you know, I could keep preaching, but we know where that would go. But there's so much more there. So there is there is very clearly in Scripture the reality, is in the book of Acts in particular, where you see this uh, very much fleshed out. And you see it in the Old Testament, but specifically for our context, what we're talking about, we see it so clearly in the book of Acts. And that is the prayer of the God-fearer. And this is the person who is not yet saved— but they are seeking God. Now, we understand theologically where that comes from, and that is the sovereign grace of God by which he's drawing people unto himself, and we understand how that works. No one, Romans 3, seeks after God, right? Mm-hmm. The Bible says that emphatically. Mm-hmm. So if anyone is genuinely searching, looking for God, seeking him out, it's only because obviously God has has opened their eyes and provoke them. And we so we get that where nobody nobody's denying that or minimizing that. However, we understand that that that's reality, right? Where God moves upon a person's heart and 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 in different ways and at different times where they search out God and you see that so clearly. Now again, it's it's the unveiling of the new covenant as it goes forward in the book of Acts, but you see that with the with Cornelius. There's Cornelius in some some call him the first gentile that was ever saved that I think we could quibble over that but anyway he's he's there and he's what he's called a god fear right and so he was one that was following the jews because he was believing that their god was god and so he's trying to figure it out and he's searching and he's praying to god that that god would answer that god would open his eyes and reveal the truth and lead and what happens what does god do he sends Peter, 
to Cornelius's house to do what? Share the gospel, right? And they all get saved, and and that's when Bacon was born with the uh, with the with the uh, Jews, right? Uh, watch out now, but <laughs> but I mean, and and what does Peter say? God has heard your prayers, right? Now he, why did he hear his? Because he was a God fearer. He was searching the Lord, yeah. Because why? His heart was repentant. His heart was broken. He knew he he knew he needed God. That's the the key to a repentant heart is a desperation where you're done with yourself. And so we see that, obviously. And again, that's all part of that reality. That's good. Yeah. So he, uh, so Todd just texted me back so we can get some clarification on, right. on this whole While thing. You do that, I'm going to look up. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to call him here real quick. I don't know if he knows that he's actually going to be on the podcast live. Hey, Todd. Hey. Hey, you're you're on the podcast live. I just want you to know that. Can you hear me? Okay. <laughs> I can hear you fine. Okay. So, can you give us some? I I asked the question completely wrong. I confused Pastor Matt. So I need we need your help with clarifying your question. Oh, okay. I think I could do that. Um. So, in Sunday sermon, you were talking about. Um, uh, I don't know, one of uh, 400 things, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, but uh, number one was uh, when we're praying is the direction, um, uh, praying directionally, right? Yep. And so when we started to, or when you started to break down um, the meaning of our Father as we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. Or, yes. Uh, the Disciples' Prayer, at least so rightly reframed. Yep. Um, looking at our Father as, as having such a, a personal meaning yes. uh, to our Father. And so looking at uh, God's um, permanent role, right, mm-hmm. in, in, in creation, mm-hmm. uh, what is... What does fatherhood look like? Um, what does his fatherhood look like to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament in contrast to his fatherhood um, that is depicted in his character in, in the New Testament? Yeah. So, does that make sense? Yes. Yes. I thought that, uh, and I kind of, we kind of addressed that. I thought that's what you might have been asking, but I was, I was, I was confused. And that's my fault, no doubt. But um, yeah, so obviously um, God has a distinct relationship with the nation of Israel above all other nations, right? Because he birthed that nation, which is obviously go all the way back to Abraham. The nation of Israel was, was, was not a nation. He creates the nation of Israel out of Abraham, right? We understand that. He calls Abraham, who's a, who is in every way a Gentile, a pagan. He calls him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and he literally says, I'm going to make a nation out of you, and it's going to be a special people. And that's what he does, and that starts the nation. And so in that sense, God is the father of the nation of Israel, and that's one of the ways in which Israel is very distinct from all other nations because because. Israel is the only nation by which God did that. Now, obviously, he's the creator of every single person, right? No one, Psalm 139, is ever born, and thus no nation is ever created or comes to being without without God's hand in that creative fashion. But in that very distinct birthing, if we'll use that language of, you know, tethering to, you know, the, the 
paternity of God, you can see that very distinct reality with Israel. Now, if you cross that over to the church, you see that same reality, but not in a national sense, but in an individual sense, right? So Israel is always is always seen as a nation, right? And you got to keep that distinction when you're looking at the church and Israel. Israel is a, is a special, unique nation birthed, in using that language again, by God himself for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And he created them for a purpose. He birthed them for a purpose. And he makes that very clear, right? That all the other nations would know. I mean, it was... It was in many ways the evangelism of the Old Testament was literally come and see. Well, where were they to where were they to come? They were to come to the nation of Israel, and Israel was to be a light to the nations, a light much like uh, a bug light, if you will. <laughs> I know the analogy breaks down, but you get it right. They were to flock to the nation. They were to see the light because they're out in darkness and be drawn to it and say something is distinct and different and it grabs my attention and I must come and see and learn about this God. That's the Old Testament evangelism, uh, so to speak, of the nation of Israel. Well, you get to the church, well, we understand now the distinction is really different because it's not a come and see, it's a what? Go and tell, right? And that's and that's a, the reality of the church is very, very distinct from Israel, because we don't come into the church as a nation, per se, or even as a family. We come in individually, right? We're individually saved into the family, mm-hmm. of, God, into the family of God. And in that sense, then we create a, not a nation, but a holy priesthood, which then we have similarity with Israel in that. And obviously, First Peter 2 talks about that, that we are a holy nation, we are a holy priesthood, and all of that. And there's similarity in this way. We are all Israel, redeemed Israel, and the church are all one in people of God. We are the people of God that God has birthed us all. Because in the church, you don't come into the body of Christ. You don't come in to a relationship with Christ without God sovereignly birthing us. And obviously the language is very clear. What? Being born again, born from above, that all is sovereign, that all is God doing that. And even in the language of the New Testament, which I think I brought out in the sermon of the personal nature of God's fatherhood, he's not our father until we're what adopted into his family. And that's the whole point of adoption that becomes so, so rich and so beautiful is that that's what adoption means. You're not part of the fatherhood, meaning the family of God until he becomes your father. And he does that through the gospel and that aspect most specifically of adoption when you're brought into the family of God and made sons and daughters of God and Obviously, the nation of Israel had that on a national sense, not on a salvific sense. It was still individual for them, right? It was still, they still had to believe. They still had to repent and believe in God, right? And in the promises of God. And they had to. They could be national Israels, but not true Israel. And that's what Paul talks about so clearly in Romans 9, 10, and 11 when he says, all of Israel will be saved. He's not talking about the whole nation. He's talking about all the true Israelites, which he brings that up, who the true Israelite is, the one who hasn't been circumcised on the outside alone, which which identified you as an Israelite, but the one who was circumcised in the heart, the one who had the circumcision of true faith, true repentance. And so you can see the salvation was always the same, but you had this national distinction with the, with the, uh, with the people of Israel. That remains that even through the book of Acts, which is fascinating when you see Israel as a nation remains distinct from the church. And they're often even seen in the same sentence, Israel, church, Israel, church. You don't see them 
as a conglomeration, as one, you know, people, they're, they're held distinct in that because God has a plan for the nation as he has for the church, but they're saved the same and they're one people of God. And so the fatherhood for Israel in that sense and the fatherhood for the church in that sense salvifically is the same. And that's why Romans 8 and Galatians 4 literally says, as we're adopted in and we're saved, we call him Abba Father. But in the national sense, Israel, Israelites, um, would, they would not call God their father because of their view of God was obviously different and far. They had a view of God that God was, was not near them. He was way far away from them. And obviously we know he's transcendent, but they, they, they struggled with the nearness of God on many levels. So that's why you don't see them referring to him as our father until Jesus comes, which obviously would have blown them away when, he, uh, when they heard that prayer. Um, and that's why you don't see that even in the Old Testament. But when he says that and says it repeatedly using those uh, uh, personal plural pronouns, it, it is pretty stark, um, which, is, yeah. which is encouraging. Obviously, for the New Testament believer, even more so, because then we, we have the blessing of, of what Israel had in that personal relationship with God, but even on a greater sense, obviously now, as New Testament believers. So wouldn't that have been um, a, a foreign concept, even some of the New Testament writers who are, who are writing to, uh, to the nation of Israel or to the Jews pointing to the fulfillment of God's promises, wouldn't that, uh, that, that call to more of an individual relationship be foreign then to um, uh to those living in Israel in Israel at the time and, and listening to the uh, uh, teachings of, of, of the synagogue and, and uh, the teachers at the time? Um, yes, if they were listening to the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and the scribes, which obviously most of them were, yes, it would have been very foreign to them because, again, what I was saying a minute ago, God was projected by them to be very distant and far, right? You couldn't get to God. You had to go through all the hoops, and you weren't good enough, obviously, not in the not in the uh, depravity sense, but in the acceptability sense, right? To be acceptable to God, you had to have just the right uh, incantation. You had to have just the right life. You had to give just the right amount. You had to go through all of the self-righteousness to even get close right. to God. And they kept, that was part of the deal. They just kept moving the goalpost of God further back, further back from the people, because that's how man-made religion always works. So in that sense, yes, it would have blown them away. But in the true Israelite sense, no, not at all, because what you see in Scripture, take, for instance, Simeon, right? What is Simeon? He's talking to God personally. I mean, he's crying out to God in the temple. Anna, what is she doing? She's praising the Lord personally, right? What is, what is uh, um, John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, do? I mean, obviously, he's going through the Old Testament still process of praying to God in the temple, but he's crying out to God personally. What does David do in Psalm 51? He cries out to God personally. Again, he not using the Our Father in that sense, but he's speaking to God on a very intimate, personal, personal level. And so that reality, again, is throughout the Old Testament. God was a very personal God in the sense of he talked with his people and and yet, at the same time, in the Old Testament system, you had, the, you had to go through a mediator, you had to go through a priest, you had to go through uh, a sacrifice, you had to go through a process, and rightfully so, because the Redeemer had not come, the mediator had not come. That was, 
that was the way unholy people interacted with a holy God. And yet when, right. the, when the New Testament comes, the veil is rent, and that is now open. But Christ is speaking before that, and he's still speaking on a personal level with God, which is, again, fascinating and encouraging and demonstrating, again, the nearness of God to his people. And that would have blown them away, but that wouldn't have been a foreign concept for those who had were faithfully following the Lord, because you can see the pattern of that. It just the idea of calling him our Father in that sense would have obviously would have opened our eyes big time. And that's why I don't think you see it up until that point, which is encouraging. Makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting. Even the just the, the kind of that narrow path, um, even even beginning to be laid out in the in the Old Testament from um, as you said from those uh, those saints that uh, that cried out to God. Yes, there's always a remnant, right? There's always a remnant that get it, and obviously by sovereign grace, and you see them, and yet the, uh, obviously the Old Testament was different in the in the in the um, law as it's lined out, right? There's mediation and there's uh, sacrifices in the proper uh, worship of God and and the access to God, right? Only the pr- priest and then the high priest. So we understood that there were barriers and the old that the law presented because of sin. We know that, right? Galatians makes that clear because the law shows us our sin and shows us the reality of God's holiness and 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 how we cannot get to him. And yet even in that even in that, there was this reality. I mean, the whole book of Psalms, right? I mean, what is that? A, a psalm at the end of the day is nothing more than a prayer put to music. Literally, almost every one of them are prayers put to music. And, and obviously, the, the, most of them, many of them are the priests leading the nation in that, but they're, they're praying to God, and they're speaking to God, and, and, um, which is obviously a blessing. But even others, like the prayers of Asaph, and obviously the prayers of David, and uh, and uh, which are the prayer of Moses, and you see them speaking to God, even in, in even individually like that. But then obviously they become songs of the nation. You see it even in uh, Deb, uh, not Deborah, but um, uh, Miriam. Miriam as she's coming out of as as they're coming out of uh, the Red Sea, and that glorious prayer and song, and what is it, Exodus fifteen, and she takes up the tambourine, and she that glorious prayer song lifting up the name of Yahweh and because of his uh, omnipotent power and crushing the Egypt, the Egyptians and so so you had that reality but um, but yet you still had that again it's that beautiful interplay between the imminence of God his nearness and his transcendence and uh, so yeah yeah but that that reality of accessing God personally specifically, um, instantly, that's the word I was looking for. That's one of the amazing blessings of the new covenant that the Old Testament believer, while they obviously prayed to God and they would pray often in the temple, yet that idea of, I don't need a mediator, I don't need a priest. We are the priests. Like, that's the point. We're all priests, right? We don't need a priest. We have Christ as our priest. That reality would have, obviously, that was earth shattering, earth shattering. And uh, that's part of the struggle you even see in the book of Acts, where they think, you know, the Old Testament, you know, the Jews need to keep doing this, and you see they have one foot in the door and one foot, well, we'll do Christianity this, we'll do Jewish this, because they're still wrestling with, 
with all of that, and that's part of even Jerusalem Council comes in and has to deal with some of that, and and uh, yeah, amazing. Uh, once again, a lot more detail than and uh, and layers uh, in in your answer. So, well, uh, hopefully the the details and the layers made it clear, not cloudier. <laughs> uh, no, I did. One, Good. one of the things I'll comment here on, and, and, um, and I'm not using the right words, but uh, just one of the concepts as you were talking about, um, Psalms, yeah, uh, specifically in the psalmist, really um, speaking to the personal character of God in, in the Psalms. That's not, you don't cry out in that way to somebody who is far. Exactly. Uh, it, it is really crying out to somebody who, in a time of need, um, yes, that may are in his in like you said in his eminence and and drawing near to him. I was I was about to say, calling him nearer to us, but that's not the. Really, uh, but that that really is us reaching, and those psalmists reaching in their in their time of need, and and um, so that is definitely the symbol of fatherhood in the character of God being represented in the Old Testament. The personal uh, nature. The, yeah, the yeah. personal nature, exactly. Yeah, and, and then the understanding the relationship of sort of the father of the nation of Israel compared to how we use the term father and fatherhood in in the individual relationship. Yes. Uh, makes incredible sense. So Yeah, yeah, and and you're exactly right and I and I'm glad I'm glad we were able to connect because your question makes uh, obviously a lot of sense and it's a good question now that I have a better understanding of it in relationship to Israel because I think, like I said, that that birthing of Israel made them distinct, and they—I mean—they're still distinct in that sense, and they will be, and and that will become even clearer in the in the last days as that reality is established again, um, because they are distinct from all the other nations on the earth. There's no other nation that that has where God has intimately and personally done that, and so in that sense, there is that. There is that fatherhood of the birthing, and and even maybe even better said, the Creator. He, he created the nation, but then yeah, like you see the the connection between the personal reality of the of the true Israelite who was a true follower of Yahweh, and the personal nature where it's not just He's the God of our nation, but He's my God. That's where the hour comes in, where it's like he, right. He's our God. So there's, there's one way to say it, right? It's like you know. Well, God, yeah, God's our God. He's the God of the Israelites, right? And, and that's what they would say, and that's what how, that's how they worshipped. And God said, "Get it out of my face, because it's a stench in my nostrils, because I'm I'm just nothing more than any other god to you." But the Israelite that was broken and came and said, "No, that's my God," you know. Then then you see the distinction, and obviously that's what happens in the in true salvation, right? God does. He's not just a distant God, who's quote unquote the great creator. He is so much more than that, and that's what salvation brings and changes, and yeah, which is obviously a blessing. And that's what the nation doesn't get now and didn't get then, but specific individuals did in the nation, and ultimately they will in the end. And uh, that's why Isaiah 53 is so important. They will look on him who they have pierced, which is what Zechariah 14 says. As he's coming through the clouds, they will see him. They will look on him whom they have pierced. And Isaiah 53 will be their prayer, will be their cry. And notice all the personal pronouns even in that. And, uh, and again, I mean, salvation is personal. 
it is personal. And so, yeah, hopefully that just even further adds more to it. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, my friend. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man, you're, you're, you're making a debut here. We're going to have to bring you back. <laughs> that would be good. You can't have that man bun in, though. That, that won't work. No man, no man buns on the podcast. No, no man buns on the podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you, man. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Yeah, uh, that was good. I liked that. I'm glad we went back because uh, there was a whole lot there. So let me, let me bring this up because, again, this was something – I had to cut out of the sermon, and you know how much I hate that, but it's it's obviously I don't do it enough. I and couldn't imagine how much you have to cut either. Yeah, and, and I don't do it enough, and I get it, but mm. it's it, it does happen. So uh, again, back to that reality. So here's uh, Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He's one of my siblings. <laughs> One of my one of my relatives in the in the Italian cohort. Anyway, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Hmm. So this is a Gentile, you know, non-Israelite. He's he's a Roman, hmm. right? He's a he's a, a Roman centurion of all things, and yet he's a God fearer. Right, he mm-hmm. fears God, and he's following the way essentially of of the Jews, and that's he's giving alms, he's praying, he's praying to Yahweh, and considered a devout man and a God fear. Now, look, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in, say, come in to his to his place and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror <laughs> and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who had spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who had attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So they go, they retrieve Peter. Peter comes to the house, and essentially Peter has a vision about the same time mm-hmm. over in Joppa, where Peter is now being told, essentially, you're going to go to a Gentile. And obviously for Peter, it's like, no, 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 that doesn't happen. And mm-hmm. that's where he lowers the sheet, and he sees all the animals that were unclean. Mm-hmm. And he keeps telling Peter, arise, kill, and eat. It's a favorite passage of Hunter's. But anyway, he, he <laughs> it is. We quote it often. But anyway, out of context. But anyway, so, so he's like, I can't, Lord, I can't. And he sees the vision again, and there's all these unclean animals that were unclean in the Old Testament. Arise, kill, and eat. And he's teaching him a lesson. That which was unclean, obviously, is clean. And and so the whole point, then he gets to knock on the door. At, by the time he, Peter gets it, he gets to knock on the door, and they come in, and then he, it, it makes sense to him. Ah. And then he goes to this Gentile, and he shares the gospel, and boom, now the gospel is going out from Judea and Samaria to the utter reaches mm-hmm. of, the, of the globe. And there you see, he prayed continually, but he prays as a God-fearer. He was one who was searching, one who was looking and obviously the Lord heard that prayer as he always does mm-hmm. those who are searching because obviously God is sovereignly at work and doing what he does. That's good. Yeah. I like that. Um, yeah. So that's, that clarifies when we say God doesn't hear the prayer of 
the unrepentant sinner. That's why I use that word very specifically, unrepentant. This mm-hmm. man was not unrepentant. Mm-hmm. He was repentant, right? Yeah. He's, you cannot fear God and not be repented. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's why that word is so, as they all are, if preaching is done rightly, the words are chosen very carefully. And, and that's why that, that title to that type of prayer is so vital. Mm-hmm. He hears the, the prayer of every repentant sinner. But it's the unrepentant, obviously. He hears them, as I said in the sermon, because he's omniscient and omnipresent. Mm-hmm. But it's the idea of, of honoring them, blessing them, answering them. Obviously, we know, as the Bible says, as I quoted, I don't know how many verses, but what Proverbs, what is it, 28 says, you know, the prayer of the righteous is a blessing, but the, but the offering of the wicked is an abomination to God. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty yeah. clear. Yeah. That's good. Um, this one, actually, I'm going to give you the context. I'm going to read the scripture that you uh, said there. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 22 through 24. 22 reads, uh, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to hell, to the hellfire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Mm. Now my question, and this is also in light of yep. First Peter. Is it First, First Peter? Peter three, uh, seven? Yeah. Is that the one, the inconsiderate prayer? Correct. All right. Yeah. But this was actually in the... Oh, no, this is inconsiderate prayer. All yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, I wrote it down right above that. Okay. Because um, in this one, I he, you you it was it was kind of like you're using prayer and worship interchangeably. Yes. Is that the case? Because yes. uh, my question was, is prayer and worship the same thing? Yes. Um, it depends on, again, we can get technical and more defined in words, and, and obviously in context we should. But um, I think in, uh, let me just turn over here before I say it. I think it's in John 9, where he uses prayer and worship in the same verse. Um, and then I'll explain it. Uh, John 9, uh, 31. And this is obviously the, um, this is the man born blind who has now been healed by Christ speaking to the Pharisees. And he says, verse 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Mm. Listening obviously would be would be akin to praying, right? That's the whole point. You know, God listening, God hearing, right? That would be the idea. And so I think even in that context, he's using listening, praying, and worshiping. I mean, you don't you don't pray to that which you do not worship. Mm-hmm. So if you understand what worship is on its most basic level, it's speaking to God, it's offering to God, whether it could, whether it's verbal, whether it's singing, whether it's serving, whether it's preaching, whatever it is, it's giving to God glory. That's what worship is. We sadly, in the American church, sadly think of worship, we instantly think of music, Mm. and that's not helpful. Mm -hmm. Music is glorious and awesome. It's a gift from God. But if you understand worship rightly, music is just one slice of the worship pie. Mm -hmm. Preaching is as much of worship as music is. Praying is as much of worship as music is. Serving is as much of worship as music is. Working is as much of worship as... Here, here's, here's the reality. All of life is worship. 
Mm-hmm. We're to live it as worship to the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's all about worship, and worship is nothing more than giving adoration and exaltation and glory to the God of all the earth for who he is, what he's done, and obviously what he has promised to do. And so that's worship at its most basic level, and prayer is a part of that. That's why the Psalms, in many ways, are nothing more than what? Prayers and music, obviously put together to, to, to singing. It was the worship manual of the, of, of the nation, and yet how many of those Psalms are nothing more than prayers? That's all they are. Mm-hmm. They're actual prayers put to music, right, in the Psalter. Right. So you can see the interplay between that. And so, yeah, at its most basic level, um, and then even in Matthew 5, what you just read out of the Sermon on the Mount, right? He's talking about, you know, offering your, you know, giving your your offering at the altar. Well, where would they pray? They prayed at the altar, right? In the temple, right? They're, they're, they're praying, they're offering. Was, and when they made an offering, it wasn't just a pigeon on the, you know, on the burnt offering or, or lamb, you know, it was offered with prayers, and they were often thanksgiving offerings, and they were often uh, confessional offerings, offer, uh, sin offerings, where they're confessing their sin. Prayer was always involved. And then, obviously, you had, you had the incense, the altar of incense, which is what Zachariah is doing in uh, Luke uh, 1, when he's offering up to, to the Lord on behalf of the entire nation the prayers of the people. And that's what the altar of incense was. When the smoke would go up, it was a visual illustration of the prayers of God's people going up. And, uh, and the, obviously the priest did that every day. And so, yeah, so prayer is a huge part of worship, massive part of worship, int- intricate part of worship. And so, uh, yeah, so does that answer your question? It does. And, you know, the, the reason for that question was, you know, um, as I look through scripture, yeah. um, I have to be mindful that like since prayer, um, well, one, you know, praying without season is one of the things that we, um, we talked about, uh, in, uh, the fundamentals of the faith class as well, praying without ceasing, what, yeah. what that looks like. First Thessalonians five seventeen. Yep. And, and also, you know, worship should be a, a, a lifestyle of, of things without that we ceasing. do. Right. Without ceasing. So it's an attitude. Yeah. That's literally what he's talking about in First Thessalonians five, right? Mm-hmm. He's not talking about walking around nonstop muttering, mm-hmm. right? You know, he's talking about the attitude of the heart mm-hmm. is one of total dependence on the Lord, where every step you take is in prayer, is in is in constant dependence mm-hmm. on the Lord, and you're in a state of thanksgiving. Listen, listen, everybody makes fun of me, and they did it in seminary too, so I'm very consistent. It's been happening for years. I'm known as the guy. What a blessing, right? <laughs> And, I, and I'll never forget uh, another pastor giving me a hard time about it. And I'm like, pray without ceasing, man. That's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. What am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm giving prayers of praise to the Lord. Because every time th- this something happens, it's a blessing from God, is it not? Yeah. And am I not then honest? I mean, I'm, I do it from the heart. It's, mm-hmm. not a, it's not a rote thing. I do it by myself. Mm-hmm. I say it to myself, right? I get a phone call. I get an email, whatever. It's like, what a blessing, Lord. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what that is. That's praying without ceasing. Yeah. Now, obviously, it's more than that, mm-hmm. but that's the attitude of the heart that is ready at any moment to give praise, to give adoration, to give confession, yeah. right? And sin, Father, forgive me. You know, it's just like you're living, you're breathing. That's why prayer is the air that the believer breathes. 
and he just is constantly in that mode. And obviously prayer is so multifaceted. It's confessional, it's praise, it's thanksgiving, it's supplication, it's intercession. Mm -hmm. Well, that's how you pray without ceasing, because you need all of those things. And so, again, it's the attitude Mm -hmm. that then drives the action. The action is intermittent. We know that, Mm -hmm. right? But the attitude never leaves. Yeah. And that's the attitude of utter, complete dependence and delight. It's yeah. those two realities. I'm utterly dependent. That's where the that's where the prayers of petition come in. Mm-hmm. But I'm also utterly in delight, mm-hmm. where I'm constantly praising the Lord. And you can take the Lord's Prayer. How many times did I say it on Sunday? You can break this thing down in a million ways. I broke it down, uh, God's preeminence and man's predicament. Well, you could take it and break it down just like I did. The first part is all about delighting God. Mm-hmm. It's all about God, his, his name, his mission, his method, his everything. And then what comes after, right, is this dependency on God, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's that reality. That's, that's what it all breaks down to. You either have praise or you have petition. And then everything else is a subset of that. Yeah. It, it, it sounded like when, when you were talking about that, it sounded like Philippians 4. Yes. The peace of, you know, God, and, you know, passing all your standing will guard your heart, guard your hearts and minds, Christ Jesus. And before that, it was let your, you know, with uh, prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made. Like it all sounds like it's the same thing. It is. All, it's, it's all flowing in the same way. Living, living your life with a God-centered focus. Mm-hmm where everything that you think, everything that you do, everything that you are is driven by who God is, what God has said, mm-hmm. and what God has done, is doing, and will do. I've never heard that before. Amen. <laughs> what a blessing. Yeah, what a blessing. I get to hear it again. That's it, man. That's 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 it. Yeah. That's the scriptures. That's what it teaches. That's what Paul did. That's who how Christ lived and that's how obviously we're to live, and that's the peace. The yeah. peace is the result of that. Right. Yeah. I, I think my last question would be um, one of. Uh, Wait, we got to go back to the inconsiderate prayer though for a minute. Do we? Do we really? Do you really want to do that? Well, just for just we. I mean, that reality in First Peter three seven always gets me. That the husband who is inconsiderate of I, his wife. I was wife, trying to skip that. Part. I know, but it, we 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 got to be honest. Oh my goodness. It man. it. It'll get you. Hold on. I got one for you. Wait a minute. If you can't say amen, you ought to say out. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> if there's ever a line that Vody Bacham could can add to this podcast, it's that one at that moment. I, I would do it again for the people in the back. If you can't say amen, you ought to say out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because that that is a that is a scary passage to think that a husband can have his prayers closed off. Mm. Have his have the ears of God closed off because of the way he's living with his wife. Mm. We don't. I, I think again, that's not just for husbands. That's uh, you read it in 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 Matthew five. Same thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's the principle is there. The implication is the same. Mm-hmm. Yet the direct the direct uh, uh, command and consequence <clears throat> in First Peter three seven needs to be thought through even more by husbands. Yeah. Because what it shows is, again, didn't have time to go into the detail that obviously I'd love to, but it's there. But what what that passage shows is not only the importance and the in, in the preciousness of a of a wife in the eyes of God, but more so the importance of prayer in the life of the man. Mm. That the the impetus is be careful how you shepherd and care for your wife 
Because if you're living with her, and if you're not living with her in an understanding ways, your prayers are going to be hindered. Meaning, you can't live without your prayers hindered. Mm. Like this is primary mm. to do what God's called you to do as a man. You need to be a man of prayer. Mm. You, which is again nothing more. Prayer is nothing more than living your life dependent on God. Mm. And it's like if if you don't have God's help, you're done. That's the point. So live your life with your wife as God has called you to, and loving her as Christ loved the church. Otherwise, you're going to be a man who is left to himself, and a man left to himself is done. Mm. We, need the, we need the hand of God upon our heart and our life to guide us, protect us, and encourage us, or else we will never be what God has called us to be, and we'll surely never lead our wife and love our wife and, and our families as we should, apart from the blessing of God. And I don't want to do anything that's going to ever jeopardize that. And one of the things that First Peter 3 7 makes clear is do not live with your wife inconsiderately or your prayers will be hindered i.e god's hand of blessing will be removed from you that is a scary thought you know what messes with me though when in my own personal life what the reason why my wife is angry at me is because or you know i'm 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 being inconsiderate of her is because i'm being selfish yeah and I am basically just forfeiting, not forfeiting, that's not a good word, but I will say forgetting about the part of the de- the definition that you give every single Sunday of prayers, grace-driven. Yes. And it's like, okay, I am now not, you know, accepting of or kind of acting like I don't need the grace exactly. of God. Exactly. Exactly. And that is why I'm being selfish. I'm, I'm all about sight. myself, lost sight. You've lost sight how desperate you are. Yeah. And you've grown enamored with how sufficient you are. And you, yeah. know, you no longer need God. Yeah. And then in and turn, it, I no longer need my wife either. It, you, yeah, absolutely. And then I'm pushing her away. Yep. So it makes perfect sense. So it goes right back to Matthew, uh, goes back, right back to uh, Matthew twenty six thirty seven to 39, the reality of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. If you're not in communion with God, as you should be, in utter, complete dependence and delight with God, you'll never be in right relationship with those who are around you horizontally, especially your wife. So when you realize how desperately you need God and you're delighting in God, mm-hmm. where it's that desperate delight where you know you need him and he's given himself to you mm-hmm. and you have that peace and that joy, you have that right relationship with him where you're communing with him in humble, broken repentance. And then guess what you do? You commune with your wife like you've never communed with her before. Mm-hmm. And you're able to love her and serve her even when it's difficult at times because of her sin or somebody else's sin, but you're able to because you're in a right relationship with God. Your relationship with God is paramount to everything, and that's what that verse is is highlighting. It's like, don't do not do this because it, it, it's, it's going to hinder your relationship with God. Your relationship with God matters most. Mm. And so be careful of how you handle this over here because you do not want to hinder your relationship with God. Do you, you see that? Mm-hmm. Huge. Yeah. Well, that reality comes up in many places in our life. We do not want to at all ever create a, a, a barrier in a, obviously as believers, we can never be out of a relationship with God, but we do as familial relationship in the familial father-son relationship, mm-hmm. we understand that that can be broken, and it is. That's mm-hmm. what sin does. That's why we confess, and we're what? Cleansed and restored in the familial sense. Mm. My son will always be my son. 
my daughters will always be my daughters, but they can and they have break that familial relationship in that when they sin, when they disobey or whatever. It's not the same relationship, mm-hmm. and it needs to be restored, and that's yeah. confession, repentance, and that's that's what he's speaking of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I, I love that. I, I want to end. Sorry. Sorry. No, you're good. I want to end the podcast on this question, and I think this is a kind of like a softball pitch to you, but I'm still going to ask it. Um, <laughs> when it comes down to, because one thing that I one of the, one of the one of the first scriptures I remember learning as a kid was Hebrews eleven six. Without mm. faith, it is impossible to please God. Yes, he that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. But I learned it in the King James version, so I, I might have thrown a whole bunch of people off right there. Uh, but that's good, brother. But the thing about it is. The reason why I was taught that as a kid was because I needed to understand that I needed to have faith yes. in my in 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 God. Yes. And um you were talking about uh praying faithlessly. There you go. The next one. Preach it, brother. Um <laughs> the problem with I, I think that the, the, the problem with the faithlessly part is this. Um when we pray and we don't get what we prayed for, we lose faith and then it gets blamed on us that we did not have enough faith yeah. when we prayed. Yeah. So that is kind of like the, you know, the mindset that I had for a very, very long time that, yeah. that that's it. That's why I'm not, uh, that's why God is an answer my prayer because of the fact that I'm not, I don't have enough faith. <laughs> Uh, my, I prayed for whomever to be healed from whatever sickness that it was. Yeah. But as I was praying, I did not have enough faith. That's why God didn't do whatever it was that he yeah. uh, was going to do. So a couple things there. I think in the sermon I made pretty clear that it's it's not about having enough faith. It's about having faith. Hmm. There's a big difference, huge difference. So the Bible's clear. Weak faith in a strong God is a is a solid faith mm-hmm. right and that reality comes up many times in scripture it's interesting how many times uh even uh christ heals people with weak little faith mm-hmm. even tells them that right and mm-hmm. yet their faith even will say your faith healed you your faith has made you well right and then he'll heal people with no faith and so that kind of crushes some of the some of the argument there when it comes to that reality but what what that uh, faithless uh, prayer is born out of is exactly what uh, James says in James chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 5, I think it is, where he talks about the man who uh, desires wisdom. And in context, he's talking about wisdom dealing with trials, right? That's really mm-hmm. what he's talking about. But obviously the implication is, is you, can, you can take it broader. But specifically he's talking about if you, if, you, if you need wisdom dealing with your trials, count it all joy, call out to God who will abundantly bless all those who pray. But don't pray with, without faith. Don't pray as one doubting who is a man tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. He thinks this, he thinks that. And he says, do not think he will, he will answer anything, that, he, that God will hear anything that, that a man like that prays, because he won't. And, and that is... That is, again, one of those sobering realities, because how many times do we pray like that? And we do, and it's sad. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a realization of our deficient faith. Mm-hmm. Now, the reality is he's not talking about a weak faith. 
He's not even talking about the reality of a faith that's struggling, right? The Bible's clear with that, and we all have that to a certain degree, mm-hmm. right? Because until we are glorified, our faith is always going to be filled with holes and weaknesses, right? Meaning it's not, it's not perfect. It's not attained yet. So, but what he's talking about is you don't believe God. You really don't. You don't, you don't have a faith in God. You have a faith in faith. Hmm. You have a faith in your prayer. You have a faith in yourself. There's like so many different mm-hmm. levels of where you're putting your faith. Did I say it the right way? Well, it has nothing to do with that. Did you pray to the right God, right? Or who are you trusting in? Mm-hmm. And so that's the point that gets brought up that needs to be uh, explained and, and run after. What you're talking about is faith and faith, mm-hmm. and that's the problem, right? Because what's the highlight? You didn't have enough faith. You got to grow in your faith. You got to, you don't have enough faith. You're highlighting what? Faith. We don't highlight faith. Mm-hmm. We highlight faith in God, mm-hmm. right? It, faith is nothing, is nothing more than the gaze. We are gazing at God. We're depending on God, right? If I have just a little bit of gaze of God, that's all I need, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Now, obviously, that gaze will grow as I grow stronger. But a little faith, again, a little faith in a sovereign God is solid. It's solid. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the amazing thing about our God. That's why it's the faith of what? A mustard seed can yeah. move mountains, right? Yeah. Yep. Right? Because it has nothing to do with the faith. It has the object of the faith is what matters, right? right? And this whole series of prayer got started in Mark 11, which that's exactly what he said. If you have faith, right, in God, it's all about God. Then, obviously, you can move mountains. You can do all kinds of things. Not you, but God can. Mm-hmm. Right, it's God. He's the one that moves mountains. He's the ones that can. He's the one that can do the impossibility, not us, and not our faith. Right, it's God, faith in God, and that's what Hebrews eleven six. And I love it. Right, notice. Go back to the 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 passage you quoted. He, God, have faith in God. He is the rewarder, i.e., answers. That's what he's speaking. He will answer those who what diligently seek what him. Mm-hmm. It's all about him. It's yeah. going after him, pleasing him, praising him, seeking his will, seeking his glory. And so the issue you're hitting on, obviously, historically in your life, as well as in the, you know, the charismatic realm, is praying prayers that are driven by personal wants, personal desires, personal pleasures. And not even so much, even not always out of a, a vein of, of spending it on myself, but it could be even a spiritual desire, but it's tethered to what I want. It's tethered to what I think is best. Well, again, now you got issues because now you're not praying in the will of God because that's where I think one of the most important verses in all the Bible on prayer is obviously 1 John 5, 14. And he makes very clearly, if you ask anything according to my will, I will do it. And, and God's going to do what he's going to do as his will is lined out. That's that's his revealed will as given to us in his word, and that's why we pray according to the promises of God. We pray according to the revelation of God. We pray according to the character of God. We pray according to and to the desires of God. That's what we pray, because if we pray in line with what God has shown us in either who he is, in what he said, or what he'll do, we have confidence that not only he'll hear us, but he's going to answer it. He's going to do it, because it's his will. And so that's why we seek to guide all of our prayers according to the character of God and the promises of God, who God is and what God has said. Mm -hmm. Because as we allow those truths of Scripture to permeate our heart and to provoke our prayers, even our pleas for help and all of that, 
we know, we have confidence that we're praying in the will of God because that's what we're praying, mm-hmm. literally, the will of God, yeah. the Word of God, mm-hmm. versus what I want, what so-and-so wants, or whatever. And so so that's where we bring our personal needs, which obviously, quote-unquote, aren't in the will of God, i.e., I, I need a job, or I need wisdom for this, or whatever. Those are the more temporal, personal. We bring those, and we lay them at the foot of uh, at the foot of the cross, at the foot of Christ, at the foot of the Father, we do that, and we do that with great urgency, especially when we're dealing with you know health issues or crises in our life. But we still pray those temporal, emotional realities yeah. based upon the character of God. Yeah, that He's sovereign, right? Mm-hmm. That He has He has a sovereign will that I don't know that He's working out even in amidst my crisis. So I pray that the Lord would would intervene and would guide me through it, but that he would be honored and glorified, and he would use all of this to to my good, as he has promised to do, mm-hmm. right? So I'm bringing that to him out of great desperation because I'm burdened and I'm hurt and I can't get through this, but I'm not bringing it to him so that I can spend it on myself or that I can be preserved from some something that I feel like I need to be preserved from, but I'm bringing it to him and saying, Father, use this for my sanctification, for your glory, for the salvation of those around me. I mean, are you kidding me? That's mm-hmm. his will. Yeah. He will always hear that and always answer that. Not in the way we think, but in the way that he has chosen, which is always good. That's good. That's good. All right. Well, that that's uh that pretty much wraps it. I do want to end before we uh do the gospel. Um I do want to end with a uh, a word from uh, a very well-trusted uh person here. Um here it is. If you want to hear God speak to you, read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak to you audibly, read it out loud. So, uh, yeah, we're not, we're not praying to God for God to speak to us because he has spoken through his word. You know, Hebrews uh, chapter 1, uh, long ago, many times, in many ways, God has spoken through his son, but uh, through the prophets, I'm sorry, and now he speaks through his son. So, Amen. Uh, so yeah, I, that was the that was the word of the day from our, our beloved Justin Peters. Did I, so. did I bring that up yet in this sermon series? Probably not, but uh, that'll be a great little clip to to to, uh, to, to refer to, uh, yeah, in, in the sermon. So thank you all for tuning in. Uh, if you all have any questions, please feel free to reach out. Uh, the Truth Talks podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I am now back and running on Twitter now with uh, the uh, that account, uh, the Truth Talks at the Truth Talks P one. So if you have any uh, questions that you want to ask, feel free to uh, go through that way as well. Now here is thank you all for listening. Now here is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The biblical gospel starts with God. Out of nothing, God made everything, including you and me, to bring Himself much pleasure. His purpose for us as humanity was to love, obey, and enjoy him perfectly. Instead of this, man has sinned against our loving creator and acted in rebellion. Since God is good and just, he must punish sin that deserves eternal, conscious punishment under God's wrath in hell. But God, being merciful, loving, and gracious, had a plan to punish sin, and so be a just judge and yet forgive sinners and so display mercy by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, the co-equal and co-eternal son of God to take on human flesh, fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners, loving, obeying, and enjoying him perfectly. Furthermore, Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross and he satisfied the eternal anger of God. 
standing in a place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless. God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone everywhere to repent, turn from their sin, and believe, trust in him. This is the glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted son and daughters covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. We can now have peace with God and have eternal life with him forever. It's true for every person in every culture, in every place, in every language through all time. So our response to this good news is repentance and faith. Dear hearer, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and this day be reconciled to God. Thanks for tuning in today. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the Truth Talks Podcast and visit our website at BelcroftBibleChurch.org. Delighting in the Word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Belcroft Bible Church.